Good afternoon. I'd like to uh, read a scripture passage you find in your bulletin for a text for my message today that is uh, coming out of Luke 4, 23 to 24. But as you see in the outline I gave out, uh, I'm expanding it quite a bit from there. <laughs> um, but Luke 4, 23 to 24, and he said to them, that is Jesus said to, that's the audience in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Give us insight and understanding to what you have to say to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This past winter, I, as I finally succumbed to getting COVID-19 after being healthy for a long time, I wondered about whether Jesus ever got sick. It's no fun being sick, Uh, even if it is the milder variant, suffering from fever, achiness, and dripping nose to self-isolation and loss of taste. Did Jesus suffer such things too? While perhaps not the exact same symptoms I just described, it is likely that Jesus did suffer from sickness too. He likely had the childhood diseases common in his day, from the common cold to chicken pox, just as he must have fallen and scraped his knee. But wasn't Jesus the ideal man, the sinless son of God? Yes, he certainly was, as he confessed himself. Yet he identified with us as humanity in every way. As it says in um, Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, that is to sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus was not of what we call the Donatist type back in church history, uh, in which as a baby, no crying he makes, as we have in the Christmas carol. Uh, He certainly must have cried, especially when he got circumcised uh, and he had to heal from the cutting wound. He got hungry and thirsty and tired and slept like the rest of us, uh, such as on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. He needed time to retreat from the crowds too. So he must have also gotten sick. This would only confirm that Jesus had two natures, being both fully God and fully man. 
As Jesus came teaching in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, he said to them, knowing what was on their minds, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Now what we have, you, we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, if Jesus was speaking not only of healing in his hometown, where they lack faith, but of his own body, perhaps he was alluding to an illness he was suffering from that was obvious to his hometown folks. Again, Jesus was challenged by an unbelieving criminal as he hung from the cross, railing at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is the response of unbelievers to suffering. They are angry at God for their suffering, yet they refuse to trust in him in their helplessness. They often remain hard-hearted, yet it was the purpose in the purpose and plan of God that Jesus should suffer, even as we suffer. And through Jesus' identification with us in suffering and on our behalf, we have an example of patience and endurance or enduring faith. Uh, and of the promise of ultimate victory over sin and its consequences and over Satan and death. But when we are amid our suffering, we often have many questions arise and temptations. How we are tempted uh, when sick. Often we feel abandoned by God, forgotten or since our suffering might be punishment for something that we've done, said, or thought. Or we may begin to doubt the goodness of God. But Jesus certainly felt that abandonment from the Father as he suffered abandonment by his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane during his trial, and especially from the Father as he hung on the cross in extreme agony. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As in wrath, the Father turned away from the sin of the world born by Jesus. Again, Jesus identified himself with us, being without sin, having taken our sin upon himself. As Peter wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why did Jesus do this? Because he suffered for our sake. We suffer from sickness as a result of the fall. When Adam rebelled against the explicit command of God not to eat of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. As the federal head of humanity, we all have fallen from a right relationship with God in Adam when he fell. So we have all sinned in that sin of Adam. All of creation is under the groaning pains of childbirth, effects of the fall and its bondage to corruption, as it says in Romans 8. From the disease and deformities to tornadoes and earthquakes. Eventually, the end result of sickness is death. We will all suffer death and there is no escape from physical death. For the wages of sin is death. As Jesus came to 
become our Emmanuel, that is, God with us, and to dwell among us as God dwelt among the Israelites in the tabernacle in the wilderness, he preached the arrival of the kingdom of God by which he lives in us. That is, God's rule would dominate where Jesus is present, for he is the king of God's kingdom. He inaugurated his public ministry in his hometown of Nazareth, quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, from Luke 4. After reading from the prophet, he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In the ministry of Jesus comes healing from both physical and spiritual blindness and release from oppression. He is the God who heals and restores, who does all things well. He has authority to both forgive sins and to raise the paralyzed so they can lift up their bed and walk away home. When we are sick, we find ourselves in a position of weakness, dependency, and physical oppression. We're reminded how life itself depends on the one who created us and sustains us. He wants us to call upon him in faith, uh, to forget not all his benefits, to trust in him who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, as it says in Psalm 103. In temptation, Jesus too suffered temptation. Immediately after his public baptism and empowerment by the Spirit, the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness to fast 40 days and to be tempted by Satan. And in doing so, he identified himself with the 40 years of wandering and temptations by the Israelites. Yet he passed the test as the founder of the new Israel. He refused to yield to temptation, including throwing himself down from the pinnacle of the temple to be rescued by angels. Being confronted by the wild animals, including snakes, scorpions, and roaring lions, he was ministered to by the angels, we're told in Mark. We learn from this in 1 Corinthians 10. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them, that's the Israelites, did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Now we must not think that our situation is unique, that we alone have had to be tempted as we do. Our suffering and temptations are common to all humanity, even as Jesus entered our suffering and temptations. 
So as we suffer from illness, we must not be tempted to either accuse God of abandoning us or blame him for our suffering. He has lessons for us to learn, such as trusting him, which can only be learned through hardship. As Paul encouraged the believers where he had planted new churches and had been stoned, he said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus knows what we are going through and in identifying with us, he feels our pain. This is evident when the risen Lord appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus as he sought to arrest and imprison Christians there. Saul heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Jesus thus identified himself as one body with those Christians that were being arrested. As Isaiah spoke of the sufferings of Israel, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Isaiah 63, 9. Yes, God identified himself with his people in their suffering. Yet he will enable us to endure it, to triumph over it, or perhaps to die yet have an assurance of promised eternal life through faith in Christ. Now, Jesus suffered for us. It is amazing that Jesus was willing to go to, be, to suffer on our behalf. He could have been rescued by legions of angels if he wanted to uh, call upon them while getting arrested, as we see in Matthew 26. Having had his back shredded from scourging, his head beaten and punctured by thorns, carried his heavy wooden cross and then crucified, Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Instead of having the pain lessened by taking the mixture, he chose to suffer the extreme agony of the cross on our behalf. Christ's apostle explained, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2.10. This process of being made perfect refers to a deepening maturity and experience in full obedience to the Father. Thus, for our own sanctification, God perfects us in holiness and faith by bringing us through the trials of life. Likely, one of the ways in which Jesus suffered was in being ill, too. As Isaiah prophesied, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53. Well, Jesus' suffering during his passion and crucifixion is most likely what this is referring to. It can have broader application throughout of his life. After reading from Isaiah on restoration in his hometown synagogue and Jesus knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What you have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, Having healed those with an unclean spirit, 
Peter's mother-in-law from a high fever, maybe malaria, and all who were sick with various diseases, the Nazarenes, without faith, expected to see a similar spectacle in their own town. But it's interesting that Jesus should quote, physician, heal yourself. Was this because it was apparent that Jesus himself was suffering from some ailment obvious to those before him? As the crowd marveled at his words, they certainly saw him as ordinary, as someone who grew up among them when they said, is this not Joseph's son? Yes, Jesus was fully human, so he might identify with us in every way. As such a unique person who also identified with us, he must have gotten sick too. Upon healing those who are oppressed by demons and all who are sick, he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew eight seventeen. While not all diseases are demonically afflicted, as the gospel writers make such a distinction, some apparently are. Paul had his thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, he says in 2 Corinthians 12. It seems Paul had an eye problem or something else that made him unimpressive in person. He came preaching to the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and he wrote the Galatian churches saying, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn nor despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Galatians 4. Maybe this eye problem was the outcome of his messenger from Satan. Maybe even a response to seeing the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. King Hezekiah prayed after being told of his impending death. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. In other words, the Lord allowed this oppression from which Hezekiah suffered. Jesus healed many. And among them was a boy suffering from evil spirit-induced epilepsy. Jesus' disciples asked him, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So it is not just a physical issue, it is spiritual. This account of a severe disease with symptoms of epilepsy from childhood, of often falling into fire or water, convulsing and foaming at the mouth, along with being mute and deaf, was either caused by or onset its symptoms by an unclean spirit. Demonic spirits often attack a person's weaknesses, such as a disease, to manipulate and destroy the person made in the image of God. The relationship between the spiritual and the physical is a mystery and at times appears intertwined 
But Jesus demonstrates that he has power over both realms to bring restoration. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. Upon seeing this amazing deliverance and healing, all were astonished at the majesty of God. Continually in the Gospels, we see an interchangeableness between what God has done and what Jesus has done as being one and the same. Perhaps demonic disease is seen when even the devil, after fleeing away from Jesus, stand on the word in the wilderness and had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Could Jesus' suffering have included satanic attacks of illness? Perhaps so, for our sake, for our healing, victory, and redemption. Why? Because it is a God, uh, he is a God who identifies with us, not only physically, but emotionally, in our suffering. Winston Smith explains this connection we have with God through Christ. What is the connection between emotions and love? Jesus Christ is love. The Bible describes Jesus as a man who expressed emotions. He shows anger as he challenges the cruelty of religious leaders and the pride of his own disciples. He grieves over the death of a friend. Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, we're told in Hebrews 5. And he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. God wants us to know that Jesus cares for us and understands us. Jesus didn't just peek down from a cloud and say to us, I know it's hard to live down there in a broken world with broken people. Yes, it is. He came and lived in our broken world vividly, expressing his pain and sorrow. Jesus' emotional expressions, which convince us of his empathy and care, encourage us to trust and draw near. Since Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, not only in our temptations, but including our health, we know we can approach him in prayer with boldness and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, we identify with Jesus' sufferings. One of the aspects of our suffering as believers in service to the Lord, including in our illnesses, is how through it we can identify with Jesus' sufferings. Paul wrote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians 3.10. Paul had suffered shipwreck at sea, imprisonment, whipping, stoning, and hunger. He wrote, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. But he also suffered illness, as did his colleague in ministry, Epaphroditus. As it says in Philippians 2, his fellow worker and fellow soldier was ill near to death, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Sometimes our call to ministry in difficult places can greatly affect our health. My wife, Anne, suffered from malaria seven times as she served as a missionary in Papua, Indonesia. 
the last time she felt so terrible and exasperated, she called upon the Lord to heal her or she was going to return back to the USA. The Lord did heal her and she never got sick from malaria again. Our part in sharing from those sufferings is to maintain a faithful witness and patience in our fallen condition. Again, as Paul wrote the Philippians, with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20. So we continue to trust in God, as did Job, despite being covered with sores from head to foot. The world challenges us to abandon God and die, as did Job's wife. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We're told in Job 2. We too are called to suffer in this life as did Jesus in identifying with us. Jesus taught that everyday events relate to God's purposes. In John 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. After that, Jesus restored his sight and the man believed in him. God has a purpose in everything that happens, for which we must look and work while we have his light. So our suffering has meaning, which makes it purposeful, for it is under the sovereign control of a wise and loving God working to glorify himself. Paul Tripp encourages us with a reminder When you're suffering, God doesn't promise you all the answers you're seeking. What he promises you is way better. He promises you himself. Timothy Dalrymple, the president and CEO of Christianity Today, wrote, There was a time in my life when God seemed impossibly distant. I was a graduate student in theology. But years of chronic pain and a botched surgery had left my faith in tatters. My books, coursework, and professors were of little help. Suddenly, a friend returned from a retreat with the name Jesus constantly on his lips. He spoke of walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and being with Jesus in the harsh trenches of life. It should not have been unusual considering my circle of friends, but it was. We often spoke of Christ, the Son of God, or the second person of the Trinity, terms that seemed intellectually sophisticated. We rarely spoke of Jesus, let alone walking and talking with him. This simple reminder from my friend changed everything. I I rekindled a personal relationship with Jesus. I began to walk and talk with him again. The world was filled anew with his face, his voice, his hands. I never found God without Jesus, but in Jesus, God found me. Yes, 
We may be tempted to drift away from God when we are undergoing suffering, sickness, and pain. Yet, as James instructs us, we must follow the example of suffering and patience. Of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful in James 5. Note that the Lord had a purpose in the suffering of Job and the other prophets, and he has a purpose in our suffering as well. And through our suffering, he shows us his character of being compassionate and merciful in our healing, deliverance, and ultimately salvation. In Jesus' suffering and victory over it by his resurrection, we see this lived out and as a sure promise giving us hope of our own ultimate victory. Theologian J.I. Packer explains the benefits of our suffering. God uses chronic pain and weakness, along with other afflictions, as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. To live with our thorn uncomplainingly, that is, sweet, patient, and free in heart to love and help others, even though every day you feel weak, is true sanctification. It is true healing for the spirit. It is a supreme victory of grace. So how does James respond to our suffering and sickness? He instructs us in James 5, 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So our walking with our Lord Jesus and calling upon him in prayer with boldness and full of faith by those who are living righteously will have great effect. The anointing with oil relates to the pouring out of the spirit and the healing touch of Jesus through whom power flowed. Confessing our sins to one another relates to restoration of relationships for healing emotionally and physically and restoring our walk with God. And many of our illnesses relate to these areas of our life. Our prayer of faith, which will save the one who is sick, likely has a double meaning. For at times the Lord heals us in this earthly life, but at other times, although we die physically, we have confidence in a healing of being raised up to eternal life. Which leads us to Jesus' victory over bondage. One of the strategies of the devil is to get us ill and debilitated in some form. Jesus healed a woman who had a disabling spirit, so she was bent over and could not straighten up. And Jesus asked, 
And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Luke 13. Satan also has power over death. While we don't, although ultimately the Lord Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. Satan's purpose is to destroy life and health that comes as a gift from God. Mysteriously, there is some spiritual component to illness to which God responds through the prayer of faith. And we respond to comfort, touch, and encouraging words of hope. Jesus pictured our sinful condition as a sickness. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Of course, all of us are sinners, yet we must recognize and confess our sin to receive eternal healing. Our suffering and illness is one aspect of our sinful, fallen condition. Illness can be a way in which we are disciplined by God, as was King Hezekiah, with a deadly boil. The prophet Jeremiah described Israel and Judah as receiving discipline from the Lord. Your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. However, Jeremiah goes on prophesying, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Only God can heal incurable pain and wounds. His grace is sufficient. And so we are to fear not nor be dismayed, for behold, I will save you, he says. As Isaiah prophesied, and no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. And that's talking about that eternal place where he's taken us of eternal joy. God gave King Hezekiah a promise of healing in response to his prayer, giving him 15 more years of life. Yet it should not be a prayer of double-minded unbelief in which we demand a sign from God, as did Hezekiah. God was gracious in giving Hezekiah a miraculous sign of moving the shadow of the sundial back. Although we do not receive such a miraculous sign, we have God's promises in his word and the miraculous sign of the assurance of ultimate victory over sickness and death through Christ's death and resurrection. Regarding our own illness, God will do what he has determined for his own glory. We must not waver in our trust in God as Hezekiah did, thinking only of himself. Rather, as James instructs us, we are to ask in faith with no doubting For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In James 1. We know we can have assurance of receiving what we ask for because we trust in God's sure promises of answering our prayers in faith. Although God's answer may not be as we expected, 
Nevertheless, it is an answer that ultimately glorifies himself. God has his reasons. Hezekiah uh, confessed, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Isaiah 38. Praise the Lord for that. Satan seems to have initially thought that he had a victory in using Judas to betray Jesus and seeing Jesus put to death. Yet, Jesus had a big surprise for him. He victoriously rose from the dead and in doing so initiated our ultimate victory over Satan that will be completed at the end of the age. The author of Hebrews explains in Jesus identified with our suffering by sharing in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Many people fear death because they're not prepared and they don't know what's next. It's like a slavery. Yet now we no longer need to be in fear of death, including illness, for we have the victory through our Lord Jesus. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who was for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Having done so and risen from the dead, we have victory over sin, Satan, powers, and death. For with his wounds, we are healed from all the effects of the fall. Hallelujah. Now what had been a mystery has now been made plain through the very existence of the church, you and me, as a sign to all of those spiritual powers in the heavenly places that had been a mystery before and now is made plain and clear that God has his purpose, that he has the victory, that he's redeeming you and me because he is glorified by so do, doing so. So he, Jesus leaves us with an admonition to be strong and fear not. Therefore, won't you put your hope in Jesus and claim his promises to help you in your illness? He understands what you're going through and will help you through it. Trust in him, for as he promised through Isaiah, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They shall, uh, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So Jesus declared to this, uh, his, the disciples of John the Baptist that he was fulfilling this very prophecy of messianic kingdom expectations. Jesus adds in his response, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them for he also came 
fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The ultimate exit from our pain and suffering is death, but our victory over this great enemy is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're also protected in our walk with Jesus through the wilderness of this earthly life from the desires of the flesh. He has created a highway there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, Isaiah 35. And as we walk by the Spirit of Jesus, we shall have the mountains and hills made low and the rough places made level and smooth. We no longer need to fear overcoming what seems impossible nor stumbling over the deceit of the devil or the temptations of the world which cause us to doubt God's goodness. Moreover, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found, but the redeemed shall walk there. Jesus experienced the wild animals threatening him in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Satan pictured as a roaring lion seeking to devour us, a slithering, deceptive serpent, and as a wolf that snatches and scatters the sheep. But Jesus has now conquered them and defeated their power. Instead, as Isaiah prophesied of the Lord Jesus, the wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. In faith, we are able to declare God's praise amid confronting our own ferocious animals and sweltering sweltering wilderness, whatever form that may take. Satanic forces are made powerless before Christ's victorious arm. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is, the demonic spiritual forces, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thus, our accuser is silenced, and his attacks of fiery darts will be quelled by our shield of faith. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thus, we have fulfilled the promise of God, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43:25. Now we can walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit by seeking Him first. As the old spiritual says, I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. All along my pilgrim journey, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. In my trials, Lord, walk with me. When the shades of life are falling, Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. The conclusion of the message is that Jesus is going to restore all things. He'll make everything new. And we'll not have to suffer all these trials and suffering and pain one day when he makes things all new. A new heavens, a new earth, 
and we will be with him forever. Praise God for those who have trusted in Jesus. And if you've not yet trusted in him, he says that God sent his only son into the world to die for us that we might receive eternal life for all who believe in him. So if you've believed and trusted in Jesus, even now, he will save you, redeem you, and fulfill his purpose for you in your life, even through the trials you go through in life. Let's praise the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and all the many promises you've given us, the assurance we have, and the boldness we can come to you in prayer with thanksgiving, knowing that through our trials of life, suffering and pain and illness, we know that you are fulfilling your purpose, even for our own sanctification, to become more holy, to seek your face, to lean on you more and more, to trust in you, knowing that we are insufficient of ourselves and we need your grace. And so, Lord, fill us with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.